0: The Spatial Gem, an Esri UK podcast.
1: There's a pretty good chance that you've already used machine learning in GIS without
2: realising it. Helping demystify things for us.
0: Where can I learn? What's my first step? Welcome to The Spatial Jam. I'm Beth, and today I'm joined by Alistair. Today's Spatial Jam is all about machine learning, so we've invited someone along that knows a thing or two about it. A star of Esri UK's technology showcases, Richard Mumford. Welcome, Richard.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: So machine learning is a bit of a hot topic in technology, so we thought it would be good to decode the acronyms and find out more about how and why this is changing GIS. So let's start with the basics. What is machine learning?
1: Okay, yeah, sure. So I think in terms of understanding machine learning, we probably have to take one step back and think about AI or artificial intelligence, um, which is probably another term that you've heard about. So artificial intelligence is kind of the umbrella term, if you like, which machine learning sits within. It's kind of a field of computer science, if you like, and it focuses on making machines that can operate with apparent intelligence in that they might appear to be able to think and, and make decisions. Um, if that makes sense. So within that, we have machine learning, um, which is what we're going to focus on today. So it's a subset of AI, and you might think of it as a possible way of achieving artificial intelligence. I think the the title's fairly explanatory in that it's a way of teaching a machine to make decisions based on input data. So an example might be image recognition, where you've probably seen this happen. You can give a computer an image, and it will tell you what the images off. The way we achieve this is to teach the machine and um, by giving it lots of different examples of the things we want it to be able to detect until it understands it in a kind of general sense, at which time we can give
2: it data that it's never seen before and it can tell us
1: what's in that image.
2: And um just on that kind of whole thing around image recognition, Richard, I mean that's it's becoming more and more prevalent now. But it's something that I came across years ago um as a research exercise and i just wondered what whether there was anything in particular that had driven the the sort of increasing use of it
1: yeah i mean i think as with many things in technology processing power is driving a lot of these things so you've got twofold: you've got like so much more processing power than you would have had at your fingertips back then and then at the same time um, the techniques and the algorithms are getting more advanced to harness that power. So essentially, in in a in order to make something widely adopted, it has to be has to end up fairly transparent that anybody can use
2: it. And I think that's where we're getting to now. So I think that's the main reason. And uh, just while you're helping demystify things for us, I I kind of thought I'd got my head around what machine learning was, and then I came across something the other day that was talking about deep learning, and mm-hmm. then, uh, and it seemed to be Uh, being described as something different to machine learning or a subset of machine learning and at that point I went oh no another term (laughs) I thought I understood what this stuff was about
1: yeah no it's it's a minefield (laughs) so if we think back to machine learning being a a subset of artificial intelligence well deep learning is a subset of machine learning so it's another level down from there Um, it's essentially designed to overcome some of the limitations that we face with Uh, traditional machine learning Um, so if we think back to our image recognition example again let's say we have taught the machine how to identify a bicycle right and we can give it an image and it will say yes it's a bike no it's not what machine learning would struggle to do is if we give it an image of just a whole city scene with buildings and people and cars and bikes um, it won't really be able to deal with that because there's too much information going on so that's where we might use something like machine learning to not only be able to recognize a bike, but also pick it out from a scene of other things and tell us at the same time all the other things that are there. And the way it does that is it uses an algorithm which kind of mimics the way that a human brain works. Um, so human brain is a massive collection of neurons that all work together to become um, bigger than the sum of their parts, essentially. And that's how deep learning works. It it creates what's called an artificial neural network to
2: solve much more complex problems and that that concept of a neural network that's something else that i've kind of come across before and and that is, that is about that idea that you just described of of having a a group of machines all working collectively as a linked system rather than as a, either an isolated or as a kind of linear system is that yeah roughly not, what it is
1: not necessarily a collection of machines that can all take place on the same machine but a collection of neurons that are. All by themselves doing quite a simple thing, but interacting with each other to come to a much more um, complex decision-making kind of system, if you like.
2: For me, that I, that kind of idea, I, I sort of have a sense that the interaction creates something new, but it, I also find it quite an, in, an intangible thing to, to kind of get. Because mm. once you start trying to break it down, you've almost lost the, the thing that you're trying to understand yeah absolutely our reductionist approach to understanding things doesn't really work no no it doesn't and to me that's an interesting point because
1: even when you're working with um, neural networks and you're training them up you don't really know what's going on in that process you're training it um it's you're testing the answers it gives you to make sure that they're getting better and, and better as you go along Nobody could actually tell you what's going on in any individual part of that, any individual neuron, which is an interesting point in itself because we're ultimately responsible for these tools without truly understanding what's going on inside them, which is interesting to me.
0: Maybe let's bring it back to something that we all understand and bring it back to GIS. So how is it actually affecting GIS and the work that people are doing at the moment?
1: Mm, That's a great question. So I think it's already starting to quite profoundly impact GIS. Uh, there's, a, there's a pretty good chance that you've already used machine learning in GIS without realizing it. Um, increasingly, lots of our tools are built upon machine learning um, to make them more efficient and to give better answers. So yeah, you may have already used it without really knowing it. But at the same time, you can absolutely use it more explicitly in GIS. I think one of the most common things we're seeing through is getting extra information or creating data products out of imagery. Um, whether it's satellite imagery or aerial imagery a couple of examples might be generating building polygons um, just from imagery or also generating land use rasters um, again just from plain imagery um, or a couple of ways that we're seeing it used
0: uh, so i've done some land classification in the past so it sounds like i'm already an expert on machine learning so this is great i can take that forward <laughs> so for our listeners out there what level of user do you actually need to be to get started on this you know do you need to be a developer can you just be a GIS beginner where where do you need to sit to to get the most out of this
1: yeah I mean I think we're at the point where you can make it as simple or as complex as you want or need to um so as I said there's things built into tools already that anybody can use without having to understand it and that's great and for me that's the point that we want to get to where it's usable by anyone but we're not quite there yet so you can also take one step up on that and if you were to look in the living atlas you would find a collection of pre-trained deep learning models um and for these you wouldn't really need to know that much about machine learning at all because they're pre-trained they're already built to do a job you essentially bring them into something like arcgis pro or our python api using notebooks or something. And they will just function, you give them, so one example is land classification. So you give it some imagery and it will give you land classification at the other end. So there's options to get started with really very little knowledge at all. You could also take one step up and have a look at um, ArcGIS.learn, which is a, a module in our Python API. Um, that's kind of a helper module to help you train your own models. So at that point you would need to know more about the process and how it all works. And you could also start from scratch and build something completely from nothing that's custom, at which point you would need to be essentially an expert. So there's, I think there's something for
2: everyone, which is a really nice position to be in. And I guess just on that last bit, Richard, and I mean, you touched on being able to access pre-trained models. What, I'm um, just in fairly simple terms, what are the processes in putting together a machine learning module? Um, you, know, you, you kind of mentioned a little bit about Developing the model and the need to train it, and then be able to use it and interpret the result. Maybe you could just, you know, walk us through in in uh, sort of broad terms what what those steps are in terms of starting. You know, if you were to start from scratch, um, either because that's what people are looking to do, but I think also it's quite nice to understand what somebody's already done for you if you're pulling in one of these pre-trained models.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, if we were to take um, extracting building polygons as an example. Um, What you would look to do is generate a training data set which would be uh, lots of examples of different buildings across the world if you want to do it globally. Um, You could also focus on a particular area and you might get more accuracy that way. But either way, you would you would feed the the model with lots of um isolated images of buildings. And that's how it learns what a building looks like. Um, At which point you regularly test it against Another data set so you can confirm how accurate it is um, and gradually increase its accuracy that way until you reach the best kind of settings if you like um, for that model at which point it's good to go and you can either use it in isolation or you could bring it into one of our other products to use it as part of a bigger process if you wanted to
2: and that training process is that something that yeah you know, sort of typically involves a similar amount of effort for each model or is it always going to depend on on a kind of model by model basis as to how much training something needs It'll, it will
1: depend to an extent but lots of um, applications of me- machine learning are based upon similar types of machine learning for example object detection at which point there is definitely similarity between different use cases but it, it will vary depending on the complexity of what you're trying to achieve
2: cool um and i guess one of the other things that you touched on there that i think is quite interesting and you yeah, sort of quite relevant in terms of its use in GIS, as you were talking about, maybe you need to consider which area in the world you're basing your training examples on, because if, and I think this is true for some of the living Atlas models that they, they, they kind of sort of say in the description, this is for North America, this is for sort of somewhere like Africa and that you need to be conscious of how different things can look in different places. If it's something like a building our buildings look different to buildings in the US as well. So maybe a model trained in the US would perform less well in the UK. Is that is mm. that the kind of background to that distinction?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the thing to remember is that it's easy to be fooled into thinking the machine is actually intelligent. Um, it's not. It's When you're starting off, it knows nothing at all. So everything that it knows is because you've shown it and you've taught it that. So There's definitely the element, as you say, of houses looking different across the world. Um, You also have to be careful with things like, I think there's a famous example where someone trained an object detection model to try and detect tanks from satellite imagery or different types of tanks. And one they did in wintertime when it was snowing, the other one they did in summer. So essentially what they taught the model to do was tell it whether it was snowing or not. So I guess that's another example of the machine isn't clever in reality. Um, So when you're building models, you have to be very mindful of what you're showing it and what that could mean. And again, there's examples of this actually having ethical implications as well, where uh, machine learning models have been trained with a certain unconscious bias built into them. Um, And that's, again, something we need to be really conscious of when we're building these tools.
2: And I guess just to sort of think about examples of that, I came across... um a, a piece that Ord, ordnance survey had shared about some work that they're doing uh, to map. Um, I think it's Lusaka in uh, Africa, a city in Africa. And one of the focuses for that is on essentially shantytowns. So I think informal dwellings, if you imagine something like a a kind of shantytown that becomes quite a different pattern of building. And And again, I guess that's something that you've then got to be mindful of when if you're looking to use it, um, in those kind of examples, you've got to be aware of that as part of the training. So sort to of bring it back to some of the opportunities and benefits that machine learning brings. I guess it, you know that may be quite a good um, example in terms of being able to extract information from imagery, which is relatively easy to obtain, versus traditional mapping methods. And that that's a very, very kind of time intensive process, whereas extracting information from imagery, allows you to start mapping areas that have maybe not had that opportunity to be mapped in the same level of detail.
0: I think that's a um, a really good point, actually, because recently um, there's been a new addition to the Living Atlas where they've put in a global land cover model, which um, is more detailed than any that we've released in the past. And that's all based on machine learning. And previously, that would have been so much more difficult to do because a, we wouldn't have had the imagery available, but we just didn't have the capacity to create a global data set in that way. Um, and just going back to your point about making sure it's correct for the right regions, they've used different bioregions, as they call them, to make sure that they're not identifying things incorrectly in in different areas. So I can definitely see that there's a lot of potential use cases for this and also just normal GIS users that aren't interested in trying out machine learning for themselves are already benefiting from it, which is really good. You can just go and use these, these services that people are creating for you. So that's, that's really great.
2: Yeah, I think um, if people are looking to actually have a go uh, at, at making use of this, you know, maybe doing some feature extraction from some image or something, in terms of the approach within ArcGIS and the technology, what, where's a good place to start? Do you have to go to python or can you do it through something like arcgis pro uh,
1: yeah it it's pretty flexible really so um, i think a, a great place to start are the pre-trained models that we mentioned earlier um, and the good thing about those is you can run them in arcgis pro so there's a there's a gp tool in there which one of the parameters of it is one of these deep learning models So once you've input that, it behaves just like a normal GP tool. You give it the data sets and a few other um, bits of configuration, and it it goes off and works just like any other GP tool in Pro. You can also use them within the context of Python if you want, and that might help you to integrate it with other systems if that's what you want to do, um, or perhaps have a little bit more control, at which point you could use ArcGIS Notebooks, which is a really great thing to use python and particularly if you're fairly new to python because it's very visual and helps you understand the code step by step of course you can also just use it in pure python Um, but i would say they're broadly the two most popular options would be to run it uh, in our desktop tools or in python
2: Uh, and in terms of the i suppose behind the scenes if you're hooking into it through something like Python, are you then starting to use different technology for the actual machine learning bit? Or is it the same technology that you'd be using if you did it through ArcGIS Pro? Are they, are they using some additional libraries? Is there, you know, is there anything else that you need to have set up before you get started?
1: Yeah, so I guess one thing to understand is that the actual machine learning part of these tools is uh, not done in ArcGIS technology. So there's a few... Um, key machine learning frameworks out there, one of which being TensorFlow, um, which some of our tools are built on. So in essence, we're bringing the machine learning into the context of GIS and and integrating with it, making it work seamlessly in that environment. But ultimately, the machine learning is done in something like TensorFlow. So if you were to do it in Python, you would need to install a few extra bits and pieces um, to do that. Um, But at the same time, that's pretty cool because it means we can bring industry standard tools into gis so we've talked a lot about imagery and object detection but there's also other things that we can be inspired from wider industry for example natural language processing Um, so if you think about a voice assistant on your phone or on your smart speaker that's using deep learning to i mean it's quite remarkable when you think about it it not only is interpreting sounds into language then has to interpret your intent with that and then turn it into discrete actions so in many ways i think that's inspired natural language processing in gis where we can set a machine to look through lots of text data for example and pull out spatial information from that whether it's addresses uh, postcodes coordinates or anything else so i think the fact that we're using industry standard tools almost gives us a hook into things that we might not have thought about before
2: so the ability to map conversations is going to uh, take away my need to keep looking on a looking on a map to see where people are talking about when they're describing their holidays and the uh, same way they've been. <laughs> exactly. I'll just yeah. naturally do it as the conversation flows and little dots will appear on the, the map.
0: Okay, so if I wanted to go and get started right now, um, completely at the basic level, where can I go to find some resources? Where where can I learn? What's my first step?
1: Yeah, so there's there's all sorts of resources out there, increasingly so. Um, we're bringing out more and more. There's things like Esri Academy and Learn GIS where there's some specific resources there. If you're taking the Python route into it there's also some really great sample notebooks um, on our developers website that really take you step by step through the process of doing these things. Um, And the good thing about those again because they're in notebooks you get kind of text explaining it, embedded code and everything right there that you need to understand it. And then beyond that I personally look to some of the demos that either we or esri inc do at um, conferences where i use those for kind of inspiration and then usually you can get the samples available afterwards so that's another
2: good place to go and see the kind of cutting edge of where we're going You, you mentioned that things keep getting added there's a fairly new example has gone on to learn gis just recently and it was about street signs but i think one of the things that i thought was quite neat about that was it was linking it with survey 123 so the idea is that you can go out, use Survey123 to capture photos of the street signs and it will then use machine learning to extract the information from the sign, I think is what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the key thing with it being JS is about collecting that information from the image but also adding that, that kind of spatial element as well. And an example of asset extraction uh, or asset mapping, I suppose, as a, as a slightly different take on using machine learning. And there was a blog a while back. Uh, came out i think it was it, i think it was the bavarian highways agency had used it they were monitoring road surfaces and identifying crack that's a, a different take on it as well it's not even asset mapping it's um i suppose uh, asset failure mapping um <laughs> but being done using machine learning an interesting topic
1: yeah and when you think that anything that has a location associated to it and perhaps a camera available you can do those sorts of things um, whether it's monitoring rail corridors by just having a simple camera on the front of every train and a GPS receiver, all those kind of things are possible. Um, and also, even if it's a static camera, we're starting to be able to map locations within the field of view. So if you have a, a wide-angle camera that's looking into the distance, you can start to figure out where in that field of view it is spatially. So there's there's all sorts of avenues that are, that are cropping up that are going to be
2: really promising for future use cases and i guess the the more things are automated the more something like putting a camera on the front of a train that becomes useful because you can automate the information extraction so that instead of just generating lots of video that that you'd have to find the time or the person to to sit and monitor it it becomes something that you can actually start extracting information from it automatically and then making use of that capability in a different way
1: yeah and you wouldn't even need to store the video. that could just be a a stream going by and being deleted straight away. so you're saving a ton of data storage and having to push data around in real time because you just get the information that there's a you know there's a tree that's overhanging here that wasn't yesterday. We need to send someone out to have a look at it kind of thing.
0: It sounds like there's so many different potential use cases for this. they're just kind of going through my mind from you know police forces using it to transport as you talk about um looking after roads and and everything so i think this would be a really interesting topic to come back to in two years time you know see how much it's changed and, and what people are now doing and what we're looking to to the future as well so on that note thanks to everyone for listening um, if you'd like to know more about any of the things we've talked about please visit our website at esriuk.com, where you'll find our product pages and our tech blog or email us at podcast at esruuk.com. And if you've enjoyed this, please give us a like or stars on your podcast platform, and we hope you'll join us again for another Spatial Jam. The views of the presenters may differ from those of Esqueak Chair. And then no squeaky chairs this time, because Sam's not here.
1: That's the mic drop.